Good morning. So, um, welcome to the first installment of Stained Glass. I believe the, the, the subtitle is Nine Types of Divine Light. And we're looking at God through the lens of the Enneagram. And today, we're delving into the fours. Did I, did I turn it off last time? You, you just need to see me. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that Joe asked me to, um, to talk about the fours as, as a quintessential four right up there. Hey. <laughs> All right. Did you hear anything that I said? Yeah, okay, good. So I'm really glad that I'm here to, to talk about being a four, and, and thank you also to Katie for sort of playing the role of the, the interviewer, so to speak. I, I'm going to have to stop you right there. That's not exactly what Joe told me was going to happen. <laughs> See, I felt like I was invited to be the four perspective mm, here. And yeah, well, but, but I'm, I'm a four. Mm, I feel as though I kind of discovered the Enneagram before you did, and... <laughs> That, that may be, but I, I mean, may have some like, more knowledge, and I'm maybe I just understand it a little bit better. Mm, like I don't it's know about like that. a little deeper <laughs> inside me. Mm, I feel like, it pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> in list, in in our research, I came across something that said like you get a group of fours together in a room, and they'll all kind of give each other the side eye because they all think they're the only four. <laughs> And everyone else is sort of like not really a four. And so I thought it would be funny to start off with that little uh, improv scene. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, Katie and I are both going to introduce ourselves a little bit sort of via the Enneagram and, and how we um, experience it. And then we have a few questions that we've prepared for each other just through our talks and our, in our... Uh, reading and research, and then um, we're hoping that there's going to be some time at the end for you all. If you have questions that you've always wanted to ask a four, or if something comes up during what we're saying that you're like, ooh, I want to know more about that, uh, fours do really like talking about themselves. That's so true. We're, we're giving you that chance to, to, to let us <laughs> talk about ourselves <laughs> for you. Yeah. Joe did make a specific point that this is not an opportunity for us to get up here and talk about ourselves, but it still needs to be a worship service. So. Right. We tried. <laughs> we, we tried. tried. <laughs> for the record. We did, we did try. Um, okay, so I, I think I'm starting a little bit with the shadow side of this sort of God is sublime that was the theme of this service, mm -hmm. um, which I've, I think was sort of like why it was hard for me when I read that theme, I was like, huh? I don't, this does not resonate as like what I would give it to. So that's, what, so we also changed the title yeah. because fours need to make things their own and be creative. And so we changed it to may the fours be with you because that's funny <laughs> and, uh, and unique and all that kind of stuff. Um, so fours feel at their core uh, that something fundamental is missing in them that others seem to have. And so I think the God is sublime theme sort of touches on like that's sort of what we're searching for. We're searching for that like 
sublime, some, this something that is, that is missing that we're always looking for. We, ha we still haven't found what we're looking for, <laughs> as, the th as the song mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, so I, I feel like I've found that, I've felt that ache in myself so many times throughout my life that it's, looking back, it's hard to deny my foreness, though I have tried to deny that I'm a four, um, which we'll get into later. Uh, some people describe this missing piece as sort of a, like an ease or a lightness of being in the world. Um, and I would say for me, it often comes down to a certain kind of confidence that I envy in others. Um, and envy is also a deeply connected feeling that, that, fours, that fours deeply connect with. Um, and yeah, I would say, I, I, I mean, I, I do, I struggle with low self-esteem, which I think is connected to this feeling that I'm irredeemably deficient. There's something missing that, that I don't have that everyone else has. Um, and so another stereotype of fours is that they are the unique snowflakes of the Enneagram. They have a, a, a deep need to be special and to stand out from the crowd often using their personal style or image as a canvas. And I really wanted to get some old photos of me um, to have as a slideshow during this time because, you know, then I could show you that that in no way describes me at all. <laughs> I hope some of you rolled your eyes at that. I have for most of my life felt a deep desire to stand out from others using fashion. Uh, this, from eclectic outfits to outrageous hair colors and hairstyles, I have run the gamut. I remember there's a, a memory that I have from grade 10. I was wearing this shirt that I bought at some department store, and I wore it to church. And the first person I saw was someone who was about my dad's age, wearing the exact same shirt. <laughs> The exact same shirt. It wasn't just sim. It was the exact same shirt. And that solidified for me. Like, that's it. No more buying new clothes. I'm doing stuff from the thrift store and modifying it and doing all this stuff because I need to be different. I could not. And so that, that carried me well into my 20s. Okay, my 30s. I'm not 40 yet, so I can't say that it's carried me to my 40s. So I heard that from someone. It's also been said that fours don't have feelings, they are feelings. Uh, and also that a four probably came up with the feelings list, you know, that list of like, these are feelings that people can feel. A four came up with that because we know the whole spectrum of those feelings. Uh, my feelings tend to be quite extreme and they can turn on a dime. A day can go from the everything is awesome song to paint it black by the Rolling Stones in a matter of minutes. And I often feel the need to experience or sit with these intense feelings, especially the negative ones, before I can let it go. That's three song references in one paragraph, by the way. <laughs> Some say that fours are the most misunderstood number. And almost ironically, we also have uh, a very deep desire to be understood, to be known, and to be seen for who we truly are. Looking back on relationships 
that have gone through rough patches, some to even to the point of irreparable damage. I can see that often for me these difficulties have stemmed from being misunderstood, from being seen as something that is funda fundamentally not me, not who I am. When I'm reacting on autopilot, I can quickly become highly critical and controlling of those around me. I might start blaming thing, people for things that aren't their fault, and it can be very easy for me to frame myself as, as a victim in these situations. On the flip side, this deeply emotional capacity means deep connection is something that fours can be very good at. Small talk feels very phony, and so we just dive in deep and fast. And anybody who's friends with someone and they're like, yeah, I know that person's a four, like you have experienced that. It's just like, skip all this like <laughs> surfacey stuff. We're going, we're going all the way down deep. Uh, I've noticed recently that I really love the opportunity to connect with my friends and neighbors on a weekly basis as they come to pick up their bread subscriptions. Uh, large gatherings can stress me out, not because I'm shy, but because there's a limit to how deeply I can connect with each person in a given time frame. So something like one-on-one -on -one drinks with a friend or maybe two people is much more my ideal social gathering. Yeah, I would say I agree with almost everything that Joel talked about. Those one-on-one -on -one gatherings are pretty ideal for a four. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience as a four, particularly as a girl, I think. Um, so as Joel said, uh, we have the stereotype of being the, the unique on the Enneagram. I think all of the podcasts I listened to in preparation for today said that we are the most complex and complicated number. Which is exactly what we want to hear. Right? Yeah. Like oh, my. The next line on here is uh, <laughs> every time I heard it, I had this like intense feeling of fullness That's and right. just exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, but I think mostly because I finally feel a sense of belonging in that, like hearing somebody else talk about those like deep things that mm -hmm. I feel make me who I am. That's, I mean, that's a sense of belonging for me and I feel understood. Um, Grant kind of touched on this. Uh, I am constantly seeing myself in relation to others as though I am different, like I don't fit in. I spent most of my teenage years and even some of my early 20s wanting desperately to fit in a box or a clique or a social group of people that I felt they were all the same. I longed for it and I felt like I was missing something. I felt like I was born without something that everyone else seemed to have and I didn't know how or if I could grow or learn to have what it was. Um, and I think this is something that will stay with me for years and years to come. Um, I constantly felt like I was too much for people. I couldn't just be content in the way that it seemed other people could. Other people could. Um, every boy I dated in high school I was too emotional for, too complicated for, and the box I found myself fitting in was the crazy girl box. It was a little bigger than <laughs> some of the other ones, but that's where I fit. Um, I literally had a boyfriend tell me that I must have been assigned the right dorm room because first floor was where they put the crazies. And uh, as insulting as you may feel that is, I obviously remembered it and 
felt a bit of pride in that too <laughs> because it it was true and that's where I belonged um yeah it's where I belonged but it took a long time to reclaim those words of like crazy or weird and I think I still sometimes have to work on that unfortunately the world I grew up in hasn't done the same amount of work with the word crazy uh girls are sometimes told to not be too much there's a rumor going around that Teenage girls aren't allowed to be anything without judgment and ridicule. And our world can be pretty cruel to girls. Um, so this is where I'm going to put a side note in. I hope you're doing OK with kind of diving right into this deep, dark <laughs> stuff. Um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, and fours easily fall into those. But uh, one of the podcasts said, it's OK to take people there as long as you're the one holding the torch, and you can bring them back out. So stay with me. I promise we're going to bring it back out. <laughs> um, I read this quote one time, it says, while male strength is defined as how much pain he can inflict, female strength is defined as how much pain she can endure. But enduring pain, I'm told, means not showing it, not subjecting to others, not subjecting others to your emotions. Fours are very, very comfortable in pain. We live easily with it, but we're not okay with hiding it away. We want to be genuine with what we're feeling. We feel it and we're most likely gonna show it to you. As a girl, I picked up on this idea of being ladylike and enduring whatever pain I might be feeling. I have some deep scars of loved ones telling me not to cry. And another side note is that fours like to revisit their scars and their wounds um, again and again because we're so comfortable with feeling that pain. <laughs> um, but having loved ones tell me not to cry was probably the most confusing part of my childhood and maybe my life. They loved me and yet I couldn't be honest with my feelings even with them. I think I can credit my fourness with the incredible amount of tears that I shed. I cry all the time. I cry almost every day. I've cried today already and it's like, I don't know, 11. <laughs> um, <laughs> I once had a friend say to me, uh, you haven't cried yet today. This is a bit unusual. Are you sure you're okay to leave? <laughs> I knew I had like already thought of it. Yeah, I haven't cried yet today. This is a bit off. Um, and I could talk for hours and hours and hours about crying and all of my thoughts on it, but I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna say how beautiful I think it is to cry. And this, I think, is a four thing, to find so much beautifulness, beauty, in uh, your brokenness. But I think, if I could like sum it down to just a little bit, how beautiful it is to have your body create something physical out of what we all too deeply feel emotionally. And can I just add, mm -hmm. uh, as a four who is a man, mm -hmm. like a different struggle with the whole like feeling your feelings and be you know crying or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I have memories of people saying like you just need to have a thicker skin or you just need to like take it better or whatever mm -hmm. you know like that was. I don't know if it was because I was a boy or mm -hmm. if it was just. They just thought I was too sensitive in general. But that, like, I, I have those issues as well. And so for me, that's also been a struggle to be okay with. Like, yeah, I'm just going to cry in the middle of church because it's, like, super moving. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. So, I yeah. think fours kind of take on what other people are feeling a lot, mm -hmm. too. That's something we do. Mm -hmm. And so while we're okay with crying, if the person who's right in front of us is, like, obviously awkward and, like, freaking out... <laughs> then we're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. But we're actually okay with it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
so we're going to get started on some interview questions. Yeah. Um, so Joel, some say that you discover the Enneagram when you're ready. Can you talk about your experience coming to the Enneagram, especially as a four who are notorious for avoiding personality tests? Mm -hmm. Well, I do have a very distinct memory about the first time I ever heard about the Enneagram. It was like 16 years ago, and uh, I was living in an intentional community for the summer uh, near Athens, Georgia. It's Jubilee Partners, if anybody's heard about it or been there. It's a very cool place. And one of the people who lived there was really excited to tell us all about this personality typing system. And I'm almost positive I rolled my eyes because I was totally uninterested. I was like, I know that I'm not going to fit in to any of these, you know, like, because I'm one of a kind. Like, that's, I don't fit into any of these boxes. You can't put me in a box. And so, ha, ha, ha. Like, little did I know. So it's been in the last number of years, having gone through some very deeply identity shattering, questioning experiences that I, I think I've talked about <laughs> publicly here, uh, at least to some extent, um, that this desire to know my interior self better, to wake up to uh, my true self, that, that that has welled up in me and just having friends around me mention the Enneagram in conversations. Um, those two things have sort of worked together to sort of feel like, oh, it's just this thing that's in the air. And also, like, I've come to it of my own free will, mm -hmm. which, you know, I didn't, I wasn't forced to do it. And so that, I don't, there's a part of me that's like, am I just seeing everything through four colored glasses? But I feel like that's like a, you know, like, we need to make that decision ourselves mm -hmm. to like, okay, I'm ready, I'm gonna do this thing and mm -hmm. like not have people sort of convince us because it has to be our own idea yeah. to, to do this. And so, yeah, do you wanna say a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I can, uh, I have a, or had the same stereotypical four outlook on personality tests in general, which is uh, it's just another thing I'm not gonna fit into, why bother? kind of a waste of time. Um, and I remember years ago taking a personality test and for whatever reason, the person administering it uh, gave a time limit. And so it, it made things a lot more stressful than they needed to be and I got super anxious. Um, and then the test told me things that accurately described me. Now, I don't remember which personality test it was, but the experience was so stressful that it confirmed my belief that personality tests were useless. I wasn't gonna spend any time on them. Uh, years later, I was having lunch with, with some of my mentors, uh, Garth and Clara at Mount Royal, and we were chatting about how I feel as though there, is an there are infinite complexities within my personality and I don't understand them. Uh, Claire gently brought up the idea of the Enneagram and I shut it down pretty quick. Um, and then she insisted that she would walk with me through it and if I wanted to invo invite others, um, that could take some of the pressure off of me as well. I agreed and invited some friends who had talked about creating a small intentional group. Uh, we spent months devouring the Enneagram and when we got to four, I knew I belonged there. Claire explained that often when you discover your number, you feel very uncomfortable because there's a great sense of accuracy with what you try your hardest to hide. And this was true for me. I felt 
so, like, I'm usually pretty raw with people, <laughs> but I just felt like all of a sudden this piece of paper knew. Yeah. I'm like, this piece of paper doesn't have ears. I haven't said yeah. anything to it. Like, I don't know how this has happened, but when, here we are. When, when I became interested in the Enneagram, and I was like, okay, I gotta figure out which, which of these things I am. And so I did one of the tests that you can do online just for free. And I got like three of the types were exactly the same number. <laughs> and I was like, how is that helpful? Like now I have to just choose one? Like how does this, this doesn't make any sense. I should have one that's like 100% this and then everything else is at zero. But it was like 33, 33, 33. And so I was like, this isn't helpful. And then I was listening so Heather, I think Heather had told me like, oh, somebody told me like, if you like read the different synopsis and like one of them like, you know, gives you chills mm -hmm. as like, it's like, oh, this was written about me, then it's probably your what? type. Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast where they were going through the Enneagram and I, I stopped it and we were in the car and, and I said, <laughs> Heather, I'm a four. And she said, I know. <laughs> So, sometimes hard for us to see it, but it's, mm -hmm. I think it's very easy for anybody who's a little familiar with the Enneagram to, fours I think are pretty easy to spot. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> uh, as, we were, as we were preparing, we had some good conversations and talked about experiences we've had, feelings we felt. Some common themes were compassion and empathy. Joel, do you want to say a little bit about these? Sure. So it comes back to fours being very comfortable with emotions. Some might, maybe someone like Grant might say a little too comfortable <laughs> with our emotions. Uh, specifically, we are very often familiar with dark or negative emotions, sadness and depression, anxiety and angst. Uh, I heard someone say that we are like tour guides or like mm -hmm. the people holding the torches. Uh, we're like tour guides for these emotions. We know the terrain very well, and we are, when we are healthy, we can help other people navigate those feelings as well. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, I think when people come to me uh, with their struggles, that is a time when I feel really honored. Um, you know, like, uh, I know, often know a little bit of what they're feeling or have, I can connect to like, oh, I, I, I know that situation. I know what I would be feeling in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I can very easily put myself into those feelings and um, climb into the hole as, I, mm -hmm. think it, I think it was Brene Brown who talks about empathy as like climbing down into the hole with someone when they're, when they're stuck in that, mm -hmm. in that dark spot. Um, and we talked a little bit about even before someone comes to you, like we can walk into a room sometimes and, and see like mm -hmm. there's tension between these two people and they're not saying anything about it. And yeah, yeah, kind of taking that on before. Yeah, and the danger I think sometimes is that we, we will tend to blame ourselves mm -hmm. for that. And so that can be a tricky spot to navigate. And I, yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like we're getting into a rabbit hole. Yep, we'll but stop it. <laughs> We could go on for a really long time. Um, but Katie, uh, I, we, we talked quite a bit about like symbols and dreams and um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the effect that those have on your faith mm -hmm. as well as the role that creativity plays in your, 
life and your faith journey? Yeah, of course. Uh, this is such a huge question. I feel like it encompasses so much about who we are. It's a big uh, question. But I'm going to do my best. Uh, so dreams have often been very vivid for me, memorable, and almost never random. Most of my dreams are emotional and stay with me or come back to me in my waking life. Uh, this year I had a particularly significant dream about pregnancy, and I'm not pregnant, <laughs> but then I like researched what pregnancy dreams is, and I kind of like really followed that internet rabbit hole of like, you know, researching a lot about it. Um, and the interesting part about this was that it then later came back um, and related to some of these prayer devotions that I was given. And I don't know, I'm following this book of devotions and they go by week and like an entire week, it was about a month after I had the dream, an entire week was all about Mary being pregnant and this like, what does that mean? And how it like turned it to the reader and saying like, if you're not pregnant, you don't really know what this feels like, but we're going to try and relate to you and that sort of thing. So that was really great. Hmm. Um, symbols are immensely important to a four. Our daily goal is to find symbols uh, and to find where an ordinary thing can have significance. I think that's what we're looking for on the daily. Mm -hmm. um, in researching for this morning, I found a wonderful podcast called The Back Pew. It's all about people on their way in or on their way, on their way out of church. One of the regular guys that talks on it is a four, and he described it pretty well when they were talking about uh, why he came back to church. He talked about growing up in the church, finding a lot of inauthenticity in the church, and made the decision to leave. That's a typical four thing. If we aren't finding, um, sorry, we're not going to spend our time on anything that's not genuine or not real. Kind of like that small talk thing. We're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to mosey around that. Um, and it's pretty true to what I felt on my own spiritual journey. I remember having an argument with my parents when I was a teenager, and my whole thought was, if I don't find meaning in church, why should I go? Why should I just fake it at church? It shouldn't be, I shouldn't be part of it unless it's of real significance to me. We're not, we're not really big on the fake it till you make it kind that, of adage. That is not... I can't do uh, no. it. <laughs> um... <laughs> As I grew older, this kind of changed on me, and as the back pew talked about, there's an importance in losing and choosing your religion, to recognize the meaning in church and spirituality, and to choose to have it in your life. Spirituality became sort of a symbol-provoking part of my life. When I accepted that I was a spiritual person, I started finding symbols and saying, the universe or God is telling me something with this. And this is where I find a lot of my creativity connects with my faith, I find these symbols in life, and sometimes they're a bit of a stretch, so there's often creativity in that. Um, but most often the creativity is deciding how to react to these symbols. I'll go through periods where certain words will come into my life repeatedly. I'll, re I'll research deeply what that word means and where it comes from and if it's related to any other words and if I'm finding those words in my life as well. And then I write. I find these words appear in my life and they can connect with what I'm feeling in my life. In terms of relating this to my faith journey, I'd say that symbolism also helps to guide me along. These words are one example of symbols that lead me to contemplation or new ideas. Mm -hmm. But as a four, we know there's many different ways to be creative. Joel, what are some of your thoughts on this big and all-inclusive question? Um, well, first of all, one of the things that I was thinking of, um, because 
we do tend to have, I think, a very rich interior life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like sometimes we're much more content with the idea of something than the actual experience of that same thing because it, we find it lacking. Like it's not quite what we imagined it would be. Uh, and I think uh, becoming a parent has that has been a way for me to almost pull my push myself out of that or pull I don't know out of that and to be be able to notice that contentment of like an everyday experience and not not necessarily always look for that like well but what does it mean what is Mm -hmm. the sign here it's like it's just like this beautiful or hilarious or you know like Mm -hmm. and just valuing that I had a friend who we talked about books like like fiction at one point and he said it really annoyed him to like have people analyze fiction he's like why can't it just be a good story Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's the thing that like we want to look for that deeper symbolism in the in the story and sometimes it's just a good story Mm -hmm. and so um, I think that's sort of for me that's a counterpoint that has been coming up Mm -hmm. more in my life um, these days Uh, but for me creative endeavors have always been uh, kind of a lifeline Um, I think anybody that has known me for any period of time knows that I'm always I have a friend who is him he did an impression of me once it was like hi I'm Joel I make things (laughs) that was his impression it was just a (laughs) statement it was just like I'm I'm someone who makes things Mm -hmm. like that was that was the quintessential me, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't argue with that. <laughs> but I often find that um, they're a way for me to make space for big questions, like, like you were kind of talking about with like words and mm-hmm. being able to explore that or the, the kind of sense of seeking that I'm doing as well as an expression of where I am at, at that point in my life. And so it's sort of this simultaneously like reaching for something but also expressing Mm -hmm. what I'm feeling right then Um, and I've noticed that when I try like sometimes I'll be like oh I just have too many hobbies I often think of them all as hobbies and I'm like I have too many things going on it's too stressful because it's so much stuff I'm just gonna stop doing all of it Mm -hmm. because we're extreme as well Uh uh-huh oh very (laughs) and and then something like I'll just I'll try to like push it all aside and something it's like the nature abhors a vacuum idea like something will rush in mm-hmm. and be like oh now I'm doing this oh okay like <laughs> now I'm baking bread or obsessed with pizza or, you yeah. know <laughs> stuff like that like it's just like it happens and it's like where did that come from mm-hmm. um, and I've also noticed that like as time has gone on like I've almost adopted these more subdued I don't know if that's the right word uh, practices like, I used to write a lot of very dramatic poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought I was just being a teenager or, like, a young adult. Like, you just write all this angsty poetry. But it's maybe partly that. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that and, like, sort of, like, very vibrant and, like, uh, collages and art like that to something a little bit more with my hands in, like, wood carving and baking bread and that they also sort of lend themselves to, because they are more like just working with my hands and doing the same thing sort of repetitiously, Mm -hmm. it becomes a kind of meditation 
And so it's more like a chance to ponder those big questions or that seeking feeling rather than to express the big questions or my answers to them. In mm -hmm. the, and so it sort of feels like, yeah, this progression for me. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of faith and religion and spirituality, I, I've also definitely felt or gone through those losing my religion moments, which is also a great song, by the way. <laughs> uh, there have been many instances where people within a, in, in Christian institutions have behaved in ways that made me want to leave the church or just give up on faith altogether. Um, I have continuously been drawn back through to God through Christianity, and it's usually been through other people who have been examples of what I see as truly faithful followers of, of Christ. I don't, I don't really like the word blessed, be, mostly because, like the whole hashtag blessed. Mm -hmm. Like I think people just use it as like they're lucky, and mm -hmm. it, like it's. I don't feel like they're really using it properly. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a sense of gratitude and being being very thankful to all those people and places that God has worked through to keep pulling me back. Mm -hmm. like there's that sense of like, I'm so glad that, that I have been pulled back. Mm -hmm. Like that a lot of those experiences, other people have had those experiences and just, been, they're just gone. Like mm -hmm. they're, they've left entirely. And there's always been something that has like pulled me back. And I, I am really thankful for that. Um, and now I'm looking at the clock. And I think we probably have time for a few questions, unless people have no questions. Um, does anybody have any questions? Oh, I have a mic. Um, so what I want to know, because I'm still like on my journey of figuring out how I fit into the Enneagram, and anyway, um, how do you, once you find a number that resonates with you, I know you've talked about it being very freeing for you, but how do you um, also recognize your fullness, like that we encompass all of the parts of the Enneagram, and how do you not let yourself kind of spiral into this, this one number, this one box, which I think, if I'm hearing you right, is your thing. So, <laughs> so how do you kind of recognize that you're still a very, like, like you're a human being that's complex and, and fluid? Yeah, well, I feel like that's why, for me, it was so hard to figure out in the first place. Like, I tried that thing at first of, like, reading all the different types. And, like, I felt like every single one, I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of sounds like me. Or, yeah, actually, that one kind of sounds like And I, I just couldn't figure it out at first. And, like, there was this, there was, there was this difficulty. And I think that is because we do all embody certain aspects of all the numbers. And I've heard other people talk about that as sort of this, the, the image of like a board meeting or like a committee or something like that, mm -hmm. you kind of have your like trusted people and that's like your, your, maybe your like main type and maybe your wings are like your, you know, those are the people that if, if someone's gonna break the tie of a, of a decision, it's gonna be those. But like all the other types are all around the table as well and mm -hmm. you can draw on that wisdom in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think like the deeper you go into drinking the Kool-Aid and, and researching, um, the Enneagram talks a lot about like your wings that you can have, right? Like uh, right now in my life, I would say I'm a four with a five wing and Grant had said he has a wing as well. So um, those kind of things are interesting to look at too as well. And it's kind of like borrowing some of the traits of what's next to you or there's these paths of integration or disintegration that you go to when you're particularly healthy or particularly unhealthy. And so I think um, that kind of opens it up to, to, it's an easy way to adopt it. And it's part of why I like the Enneagram other, um, more than other personality tests because I think it's very fluid. It's very fluid. There's a yeah. lot of movement and dynamic. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, someone has also said, like, there's, uh, there's three triads of it, like the head, the heart, and the gut, and that you do have kind of a home place in all three of those, and one's going to be more prominent in your life, but, uh, yeah, you can still go to those other places. Is that kind of answering? Yeah. Any other questions? So a wing, um, so the circle goes around, there's nine at the top. There's like a, yeah, there's this circle that's like very... There's this circle, there's nine, pretty. and then one, and it, and it goes through the numbers like that. And so as a four, what your wings are, are the numbers right beside you. So a three and a five would be our wings, and they're different personality types, but um, I guess it's just a way of it being f flexible. For everyone, yeah, and it's I think. just a, sort of a way of categorizing that flexibility in, yeah. in different ways. Yeah. So it's so it's always the wings are always the ones that are right next to whatever mm -hmm. type you identify as, and so some people have a stronger leaning to one of those other, like it's sort of like your first choice and your second choice kind of mm -hmm. thing. Like, like my first choice is a four, but like I I also have this like aspect of me that's more. That, that is a bit three-ish, for example, because it's right beside, and so that's, that's all that the wing means, is that there's these extra shades. It just mm -hmm. makes everybody a little more unique. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you found out what you are, or even yourself a number, this is the first I've, this is the first I've heard of this whole thing. So, how do you use it? Like, just, uh, do you say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm a four, I don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> That's not good enough for me. <laughs> um, like, there is a sense that when you, at least for me, like, I'm, I, I feel like I'm still very new to the Enneagram and understanding it, and so I still feel feel very much in that place of like trying to just sort of get a grasp on like what does it mean to be this type and how does that come out in in me um, but there's also an aspect of transformation that's built into the Enneagram and so it's not like actually the first time that I read the, a description of the four it just bummed me out. It was <laughs> so depressing. Because it's all about being moody and dramatic, and like you're just the drama queens and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, 
yeah, that ex- describes me perfectly, but like, it doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> like, now I'm just stuck in this, like being a dramatic moody person like that didn't, but that's not the end goal of it. It's not just like, Oh, you're this person done. It's like, mm-hmm. this is your sort of the persona that you've adopted to, we all have ways that we cope with life and we need those coping mechanisms and this is one way to describe those. And there, there are ways to move out of those coping mechanisms that are maybe more healthy. And so that is sort of the end, I feel like that's sort of the end goal of the Enneagram is like learning about those transformations mm-hmm. that you can make that help you to become who God intends you to be. Mm-hmm. more fully so I think that that's kind of what I understand it to be <laughs> yeah I agree with that I would just add like it helps me recognize why I'm doing what I'm doing a lot of times mm-hmm. and to say like this is how I deal with things mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fours will use this like push and pull kind of thing in any kind of friendships or relationships where you push people away because you want to be noticed or like like these real. <laughs> They are sometimes described as these really immature games that fours are pretty prone to. And so knowing myself as a four, I can identify when I'm doing that more and kind of say like, wait, this is not the most healthy, productive way to deal with this situation. Let's relate to people honestly. Yeah, I would say unless yeah. we can wrap. It's we can always talk one-on-one later. Mm-hmm. We, we prefer that. Yeah, we're all interested in that. 